0: Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce The Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon.
1: Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. So usually... We get new features in Apple's operating systems. We're going to talk about the music app today. Usually we get these new features in September, October when the operating system is released. But this year they had a couple of features that they delayed that's going to be in the new versions of macOS, iOS, iPadOS, maybe out by the time this podcast is released. We're recording on the 11th. It's likely that on the 12th or the 13th they'll release these. They're not big changes, but some of them change things in weird ways. So quickly, I want to go through the major changes. One, and Doug's going to get into this in a minute, is there's a new way to create playlists, not smart playlists, just normal dumb playlists. There is a new option to favorite songs as opposed to loving them, which never liked that term love for a song. But anyway, there's a new favorites playlist. Which is in the playlist section in your library automatically. Technically it's a smart playlist with the condition favorites is favorite or whatever. But since most people don't create smart playlists, it's a good way to group all your songs together, your favorite tracks. And when you favorite a track, it gets added to your library automatically. That's something that I find quite interesting. Because originally the love and dislike was a way of tweaking the Apple Music algorithm. When you have a random song come up, you, oh, I really like this. So you click love. So it either comes up again, or more music by the same artist comes up again. But now it's putting it into your library, which is giving you more bang for your love, favorite, like thing, thingy thing. Now, there was supposed to be another feature coming out called collaborative playlists, where multiple people could get together and add songs to a playlist. Let's say you want to set up a playlist for a party or something. But it seems that Apple's delayed this until next year because they're worried about people spamming other people, like putting – I think it's more a question of can users get access to playlists that other users have made and add things even if they're not friends or something? I'm not sure. If you look up either Doug or myself on Apple Music, you'll find our profiles and I don't know if Doug you've published any playlists, but I have a few. So if someone can see playlists you've published and add to them, you know, maybe add some obscene songs or some Alvin and the Chipmunks songs, that could be considered annoying.
0: I wondered if there's a security issue with that. Can someone load a, a malware-filled audio file? I mean, is there any way that, 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 that some damaging software could get into my system by sharing?
1: These are all Apple Music tracks, so no. Yeah, okay. I, I, I don't see any security threat there. So um,
0: we've had access to these features because they have been available in the release candidates of the upcoming OS. And the way the the new playlist method works is when you press command N or choose new playlist from the menu, you get a a panel that invites you to supply a name, supply a description, uh, even artwork. You can drag artwork into it for the playlist. And you can also decide then and there if you want to publish it and have it appear in Apple Music Searches. At first, my reaction was like the robot Barney Rubble. No, 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 no. But it's not a bad idea. In fact, I remembered later that one of the one of the, my favorite scripts is one that asks for a n- playlist name before the playlist is created. Because sometimes it seems to me, wait a minute, why am I adding the name after it's created? Sometimes I don't mind that. But... It doesn't feel right. So I like the idea of providing information to the playlist before it's actually created. It it forces you to make those decisions right away. The artwork, I don't know if I'm crazy about that, but I guess people, people like to look at things.
1: Well, previously, the artwork was made up of the artwork of the tracks in the playlist. And it was either one track, if the playlist was only from one album, or a sort of a montage of four tracks, depending on- the first.
0: It would be the first four tracks.
1: Okay. And I like the first four. I like the montage because it gives you an overview of what's in the playlist. Now, there's no artwork by default, but you can pick a number of these really cheesy- fonts over like the, the the kind of gradients that people made with photoshop in the 90s, you know?
0: It looks like what they've done is they've taken the colors from the artwork of the songs that you've selected and it creates as you say these shapes and things like that based on the colors in the album art and they don't really look like anything and they certainly don't suggest the music that's in The playlist that you just created. So I guess you're better off just dumping a, well, gee, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what people do with their artwork on on music. I mean, it's, to me, it's a, it, it seems to me an overly sacred sort of thing.
1: Well, the idea of putting artwork in a playlist is something that literally never crossed my mind. I mean, I know you can do it. You've been able to do it for a long time, but I always thought, hey, I like the fact that it's choosing the artwork from You know, four tracks.
0: Yeah, that makes more sense to me. And if you have a a playlist with two hundred various tracks on it, sometimes those first four tracks really don't suggest what's in there at all. I mean if it's like all your jazz tracks and you know, and you see just a you know, four or five albums, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But whatever. You now you can change it. Now you can do whatever you need to do to identify the playlist by looking at the picture rather than by reading the name that you have provided or giving the description, reading the description. I think the description of uh, being able to add a description to a playlist is incredibly great. You can add dates. That's generally what I do is that this is the day I made the playlist. But there's a lot of other information you can put in there. And now maybe people will be more compelled to do that, and it might be a good thing.
1: Haven't you been able to add a description for a while?
0: Yes, but it, this, 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 like this panel compels you, or at least suggests that you do it now, before you've actually added any tracks to it. Although, on the other hand, it, you get the same feature when you select a bunch of tracks and create a new playlist. Um, that is also a you know selection to new playlist that will also give you the new panel. So you've got issues there. You've got options there too.
1: Okay, I want to tell you about a feature that you probably haven't noticed, and this surprised me. You know how in the past you would set up smart playlists in the music app on your Mac and you could not see them on your iPhone and iPad? Yeah. You can now see them on your iPhone and iPad. Oh, finally. That's great. It's great. It really surprised me because I had just... It had been, it's been, what, since 2007 when the iPhone came out and iOS that you haven't been able to do this. And I was really surprised when I saw this. And in fact, I'm updating my Take Control of Mac Media Apps book and I was talking about the favorites playlist and I said something interesting about the favorites playlist is it syncs to your other devices, unlike smarts playlists. So I had updated my iPhone to the latest release candidate of 17.2. And I looked and I said, oh my God, there are smart playlists. So I deleted that mention about, you know, smart playlists not syncing. Now, does that
0: mean that can you create smart playlists on the phone or they just show up from your Mac?
1: They just show up. The only new playlist you have, and I'm I'm holding this up to show you, is a similar interface to what you see now on the Mac. So it shows the the cursor is in the playlist title field. You have an artwork well with a little camera icon. So basically, if you tap that and you go into your photos library, you can choose something. And then a toggle that says show on my profile and in search. I can't see them ever adding smart playlist creation to the phone or the iPad. It seems a bit finicky, but the fact that they sync over, this is revolutionary. Well,
0: for me it is, and because I'd like to create quick playlists using a smart playlist for on-the-go listening. And this is something I will use. In fact, remember I bought that Walkman, digital Walkman? Yep. Uh, I may yeah. have to put that in the drawer, yeah. because yep. Apple has done yeah, it yeah. again. They have. I, I worked around them, and now they're just as I thought I was out there pulling me back in. So I may have to be listening to my iPhone now more frequently.
1: So the favorite songs is interesting because, again, for most people, they will not have created a smart playlist to find their favorites. And it kind of makes sense if you have one global rating, a binary rating, it's a favorite or it's not, that you put them all in one place. And if you have tracks that you previously loved, they are automatically converted to favorites, obviously. What's interesting is the obverse of favorite is suggest less, which is kind of weird linguistically. So that means that favorite is a verb instead of a, an adjective. And then the obverse is a verb.
0: I wish they had used favor more, favor less, or suggest more, suggest less, or more of this please, less of this please, or something like that, because that's what you're doing. You're feeding the algorithm. I mean, it's handy for you, but it's also feeding the algorithm.
1: I I think most people aren't thinking that way. Most people probably just use the favorite feature and not to suggest less. So it's just a way of marking, hey, I like this new song, tap the star icon or click the star icon, and it's in the list. And I think that's pretty practical. When you look at the smart playlist, now we're talking about the release candidate uh, up to the second release candidate. There may be another before the final release. The opposite to favorite in the smart playlist is still disliked. So they haven't updated that from what yeah. it was before, loved, disliked. <clears throat> My, minor detail. Well, those
0: are just UI things. In fact, I can tell you in the Apple Script dictionary, not to get too technical, but the value to give in this case is favorited or disliked. But beneath the surface, the code is still the same, something like, you know, SPLVD loved, or SPDSLK, or something. So it's mm. they just kind of made some cosmetic changes as far as that go. Like I, I still don't know what they do in other languages.
1: Well, see, I was I was going to say that when you say that you'd rather they use different terms, I think a lot of consideration is given to vocalization. Generally, to me, it sounds like an adjective is better, and maybe. In other languages, the suggest less sounds better in translation. I don't know. The only language I know well enough is French, and I'm assuming they tr- translate that as suggérez-moi. Way too long, suggérez-moi. It's like, you know, way too many characters. It
0: just sounds terrible to say, yeah. too. It's an awful sounding
1: but noise. But do they say favori for favorites? I don't know. I'll have to look into it. I don't I don't change the language on my computer anymore. For that sort of thing. Favourie is also a term for um, mutton-chop whiskers on the face, in plural.
0: Oh, see, so there may be some yeah. ambiguity there. Maybe it thinks you're going to grow hair. <laughs> well, but see, this comes,
1: I worked as a translator for many years, and in localization, you have to deal with things like that. And you may have to choose a word that's quite different because of connotations or other uses. English has a larger vocabulary than many languages, so, we have a lot more options, and a company like Apple takes this into account when they're designing new features. They don't just say, "Okay, this is the English we'll worry we don't care about them. They'll talk to a lot of people and try and figure it out, particularly something like Chinese, which is not a an alphabet based language. How does this translate because Chinese has a lot of homophones, words that sound the same, and you don't want it to sound like something you know unhappy
0: plus or minus would have been good just. That would, you know, just use symbols or Well,
1: something. thumbs up or thumbs down, I think, would have been the best. Well, well,
0: I think your opinion, I thought was interesting, is they didn't want to look like anybody else. And thumbs up, thumbs exactly. down is what? Facebook or something? What is that? Uh,
1: Netflix uses that. Facebook uses like, and that's why they use loved instead of liked. If you click and hold the like button, you can choose like a frowny face, but it's not, it's still the like button, right? So yeah, I, I think they wanted to stake out their own territory, which... Isn't always a good idea? Remember when they got into this patent fight with Amazon over one-click buying, that Amazon had patented the idea of one-click buying, which, you know, so they're kind of stuck in, in that sort of thing. Anyway, there aren't a lot of changes to... Any of the apps, the TV apps rejiggered, there are no more tabs at the top. It's got a sidebar like iTunes and everything's gone sidebar. And I think last year we talked about the fact that some apps still had the tabs at the top and some had sidebars. They're moving to all sidebars and, and I like the consistency. It makes a lot more sense. But other than that, no big surprises. And that's good for you in Apple Script and good for me because I don't have to spend so much time updating my book. There aren't too many changes.
0: Got to take a lot of screenshots though, I'll bet.
1: About 80 so far. Oh my. Mainly because there is a new little filter icon at the top right of the window. That's right. Yeah. That's changed.
0: They changed and so every picture you have of of any kind of playlist, I guess, um has to be retaken. And then it has to be set. you have to set them up the way they were before.
1: I have to recreate each screenshot where the filter icon is visible. Because most people don't realize how important screenshots are in books. You have to present to the reader exactly what they see, and if it's not exactly what they see, it's like describing it with the wrong words, right?
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: So, yeah, to to be fair, it doesn't take that long to redo a screenshot anymore because, you know, I've got my window set to the right size, I know what I'm doing. But it's still a lot of work. It's about 80 screenshots that I've done so far. And I've I've finished the first draft of my book. There's probably a few that need to be updated. The worst thing is when they come out with the final release candidate and they've changed one interface element that's in everything. Imagine, like, the top control bar, right? If they change that, I'm I'm dead. What if
0: they changed the font to, like, Comic Sans or something? (laughs) You'd be screwed. It's all you'd be doing is taking pictures.
1: But, see, they never do that anymore because of consistency across all the apps and… They used to do that you know, from year to year. When we went from aqua to brushed metal and all those different things, you'd have to change everything. And now, I'd say about a third of the screenshots from the previous book didn't need to be changed because they didn't have that main window where you have the filter icon and the little search icon. So if there are other windows like preferences or file info or playlists or things like that, it didn't need to change. Anyway, Inside Baseball...
0: You actually get a very granular view of how many changes have been made in any of those apps because you look at virtually every screen
1: yeah, you have that's to check. interesting, yeah, you have to check everything to make sure that you know anything anything that's changed even slightly could be a hint toward a bigger change, right you know yeah, they don't yeah. document any of this stuff. So we have to find it out. You do.
0: You're the you are the owner's manual.
1: Yeah, we have to find this out as we're looking at it or when, you know, the websites start writing about it when it's finally released. But we have to figure out all this stuff. And sometimes it's a little button that changes and behind it there's more that's changed and you have to understand the logic behind it and all that. But again, inside baseball.
0: Well, I guess so. But, you know, I think most of our listeners probably use the music app and the other... Uh, media apps. And so I think even the inside baseball is somewhat interesting to hear about.
1: Well, I think all our listeners should buy my book, Take Control of Mac OS Media Apps, to which I will include a link in the show notes. It's important and it will be up to date. It, it's in editing right now. So as soon as the final version of Mac OS 14.2 comes out, it will go through a final edit pass and it will be published a few days after that. So this is the time of year you get the most up to date version.
0: Wow, spoken like a true salesman. <laughs> spoken like a true shameless self-promoter. That's great.
1: Well, got to do something. I respect
0: that. You know, it's yeah.
1: Christmas is coming up, so I need to get some extra cash for my, you know, Christmas expenses. <laughs> so, you know, please share. Don't forget our Patreon by the way to support the next track. Yeah. Um, Doug mentions it in the beginning and the end and we've got a link in the show notes and send us anything you want. Well, don't send us, you know, dead flowers, but
0: um anyway, as far as these changes go, when are they gonna stop? I mean, I think I see what they're doing with the playlist thing, and that is since they're doing it on all of the operating systems, they're doing it on Mac OS, they're doing it on iOS, they're doing it on iPad OS, they're trying to make them all somewhat similar. But what did you do before on iPhone? I don't really use the iPhone for music management.
1: It was similar. You'd you'd make a playlist and it looked like the way it did on the music app on the desktop. It was just smaller. The difference now is you have that interstitial screen that asks you to put a title before you start creating the playlist.
0: So how did you do it on iPhone when you when you create a playlist? How did you name it? Just it creates it and then you name it?
1: Um, see, now I've already updated my iPhone, so I can't tell you exactly, you but I'm pretty sure yeah. that you would create it and name it immediately and then start adding tracks. Or you would tap the more button, the three dot more button, when you're viewing a track, add to playlist. You had an option for new playlist, right? For the new playlist from selection, and I think you could name it at that point.
0: Okay, all right. I can't imagine doing it on the phone. This this will help a little bit, I
1: suppose. I've done it not. I've done it a few times on the phone. It's not that bad. Sometimes I'm listening to something on the phone. I think I should put this and that and that in a playlist because they would fit together. Knowing that I can go back and change it on my Mac. I don't do it a lot, but it's not a process that I ever found too complicated, other than the fact that it's all really small but then again doesn't matter. it's just you know it's just little lines of things about things and you tap the little button <laughs> and it adds things to things the The one good thing about the iPhone and the iPad is when you're when you make a playlist, add a track, go looking at other tracks when you tap that button, add to playlist the playlist you just created is on the top of the list. So you don't have to search for it. Whereas on, on the desktop, on the Mac, you don't have that option. You've got to open the playlist and then navigate to find it or open it in a new window, which I explain in my book, Take Control of Mac OS Media Apps. Oh, um, have you written that? Is that your book? That's I right have. There. And I explain multiple ways to modify a not, non-smart playlist.
0: The thing is about that menu command, the, uh, the what, contextual menu command that says add to new playlist. I've got hundreds of playlists. And I just don't want to go through that list. <laughs> I just hate using but, it. I'd rather But just it's drag. useful
1: when you're creating a new playlist because that new playlist you just created is at the top. So that way it's like, okay, I want to create a playlist for a barbecue. And here's what I'm going to choose. And it's quick because you don't have to fish each time to find, you know, if you say you have hundreds of playlists, you've got to go a long way to find the one you want to edit to.
0: I, I forgot my mantra. And that is that no two music app users use music the exact same way. And it's, yeah. you know, it's really funny. I've been getting a lot. I sell Apple scripts online and I've been noticing for the link pa- in the show notes to dougscripts.com. Thank you. Shameless self promoter myself. Yes. And I've been noticing that in the past month, the number of people buying older iTunes scripts has increased. Now I'm, I'm assuming that they're maybe getting their libraries ready to upgrade to where we are now, well, what is it, Sonoma, they're still on Monterey, I guess? Is that the last... It's
1: it's four years old, the last iTunes.
0: Yeah. That's a long time. That is a long time. The music app's been with us for four years, and these people have been holding out yeah. for whatever reason. I'm sure they have legitimate reasons for not updating their computers and their operating systems. But I, I find it interesting that now there just seems to be a rush to this to before they upgrade.
1: It's you know there's a lot a lot there are people who have an old Mac as a music server often a Mac mini and maybe these are the people who are finally upgrading because if it's working don't fix it right
0: Yeah I have I have a, a an old version of Monterey running in the bedroom which unfortunately is on such a slow Mac that I never do anything with it but yeah I mean there's still an iTunes there so I can see how that would be, uh, you know, that would be a positive thing to do, especially as a music server. You
1: don't need much as a music server. It can be a very slow Mac. It doesn't need memory. It doesn't need a lot of bandwidth. Music doesn't take up a lot of bandwidth. Even if it's lossless, it doesn't take up a lot of bandwidth. Okay. Should we do some next track picks? Sure. Nostalgia. Nostalgia ain't what it used to be. Isn't that what they say? Every once in a while, I go back and I listen to the music that I was listening when I was 20 years old. And often when I'm cooking, right, I'll put on my, my personal radio station, Hey Siri, play some music and I start playing music and it's stuff from my library and it's stuff that I've liked. And, you know, it's, it's a safe choice of music. And what happens is usually after a couple songs, I said, Ooh, I want to listen to this album. So I was making Ratatouille this weekend. And the third song that came up was a song from The Cure, Three Imaginary Boys, which was released in 1979, 44 years ago, nearly 45 years ago. And, you know, every time we do this, it makes me feel really old, but that's only 44 years ago and not the stuff from the early seventies. But this is interesting because There were a couple of albums released around that period where the British version of the album was not the same as the American version of the album. Another example is The Clash's first album. Here, there was no Three Imaginary Boys released in the US, but there was an album called Boys Don't Cry, which was most of the songs from Three Imaginary Boys plus some singles. So technically, it was a sort of a compilation album. I was a real fan of The Cure back then, so I bought the import of Three Imaginary Boys because there wasn't a total overlap in tracks. Uh, Listening to this record, The Cure was, they hadn't yet become goth. The first record was post-punk with a fair amount of punkish adjacent music. Short tracks, none of them are more than 3 minutes, 44 seconds. Some of them are just over 2 minutes. It was a very poppy album. It was quite diverse, with a range of songs from post-punk to almost jazzy riffing. And the, the early Cure, with just the three instruments, guitar, bass, and drums, and some keyboards thrown in, had a really minimal sound. And it's kind of interesting to hear this even though this wasn't the compilation album, it doesn't hold together the same way as their later albums, like 17 Seconds and Faith and other things. But it's kind of interesting to hear a band at the very at the very beginning of their career playing, trying to find their way in some ways. And I started thinking, like, when did they become goth? So 17 Seconds, I wouldn't really call it goth. In, in fact, it's almost a concept album. Faith, definitely goth. Grey cover gray tunes. But when I saw them on the Faith tour, they didn't look goth. They hadn't done the hair yet. And I think the reason why is around that time or shortly after, Robert Smith played guitar with Susie and the Banshees on tour for a long time. And I think that's when he got into the goth stuff. So the next album they did was Pornography. And by then, he had the hair and the makeup and all of that. So they really switched from your kind of basic post-punk garage band to this sort of, I want to say, dress-up cosplay faux-goth type of image-type band. Anyway, that first album is a cure that You kind of see in some of the later poppy songs where they come back to that. They had that dark period with the trilogy of 17 Seconds Faith and Pornography. But then they come back. When you get to Charlotte, sometimes it kind of reminds you of the first album. I've lost track of The Cure over the years, like so many bands. But that initial period of a few albums was wonderful. So Three Imaginary Boys, and maybe also check out Boys Don't Cry, because there are some songs from the same period that aren't on both albums. What about you, Doug?
0: I have got uh, something I've been looking for for a long time. It's an album called The Red Devils and Mick Jagger, The Blues Session. Now, I will tell you the story of this record. In the early 90s, Mick Jagger was working with producer Rick Rubin to do one of his solo albums, which are never great, but they're interesting little phenomenons. Anyway, he's in Los Angeles with Rick Rubin, and Rick Rubin is also working with a band called The Red Devils. They do traditional R&B 50s sort of blues the sort of blues that Mick Jagger loves and this band was was killing it at a club called King King in Los Angeles and they were the toast of the town if you like that sort of stuff so Rick Rubin convinces Mick Jagger come on down and listen to him Mick Jagger falls in love with him does a couple of songs on stage with him says hey you boys let's talk next weekend they get together. Mick Jagger walks into the studio, uh, into the office with a stack of records and says, You guys, I want you to learn some of these songs. These are some of my favorite songs, and we'll book some studio time and we'll record them. They did. They learned the songs. In one weekend, they recorded about 14 songs, three or four takes each. That's it. Very little rehearsal. And they made this record. Unfortunately, no one liked it. Mick Jagger thought it was a little too rough. The band actually thought they didn't play as well as they could have. And so it was kind of shelved. And I guess bootlegs got out on it at the time. Now, this is in the early 90s. And I've always heard about this record, but I figured, well, if nobody liked it, it can't be that good. Well, it's turned into one of these classic sort of, if you have it, you re- you are really in the know. And they've, they've repackaged it recently. And Mick Jagger actually released a single from it. I'm not sure which song. If uh, checking up on my baby, maybe. But anyway, it's a bunch of songs by people like Slim Harpo, T-Bone Walker, Willie Dixon, Muddy Waters, all those people that Mick Jagger likes. It is really, really good. And you can hear the whole thing up on YouTube. I'm not sure if it's on the streaming services. The actual whole thing... the. The full 14 hours, to- oh, wait, you're shaking your head saying, no, it's not on the streaming services?
1: It's not on Apple Music, okay. so yeah, it's probably not on any of the streaming services.
0: But somebody posted it on YouTube, and you can hear the entire session uh with most of the takes. It's really incredible stuff. And Mick Jagger, you know, I'm not much of him in, in his solo stuff, but when he gets into his element singing this old stuff, he just is... It's great. I don't know why they didn't release it. They should have released... This is exactly the sort of thing that I want to hear from the Rolling Stones. I want to hear raw and gritty, you know, sawdust-on-the-floor blues music. And that's what this record is. So it's the Red Devils and Mick Jagger, The Blues Session. And it's my next track. This was episode number 271 of The Next Track. Thank you for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit TheNextTrack.com. And we hope you'll support The Next Track by making a regular donation via Patreon. We are ad-free and self-sustaining, so we depend on the listener support of our Patreon patrons to keep us going. We appreciate it, too. Visit Patreon.com slash TheNextTrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.